1: I hope you had a, a, a good week and that you were able to kind of put into practice some of those things we talked about last week, which was, you know, loving my enemy, why am I so angry? And, and we have a lot of things in our world right now to be very angry about, and I'm not saying that ever anger is wrong. We want to remind ourselves that anger is an important emotion that is giving us information. And so we want to pay attention To anger. And remember that anger is on a continuum starting with the least amount of anger, which is usually, oh, upset, frustration, irritation, mild annoyance, all the way to angry, you know, furious. And so, we had a lot of good things that we talked about last week in terms of what really made Christ angry. That gives us a good template for what we really should be angry about. And and then we talked a lot about some different verses that that really talk about how we are to love our enemies. And what what I really want you to consider is that certainly in America, we have very few what we would say, true enemies. The majority of us, if you're listening to this show, you probably have a quite a peaceful life unless you're arguing with your friends or family or frustrated with somebody at work. And so we have a pretty peaceful existence for the most part if we compare it to the way things have been in our history. So we have this tendency to get angry at the people we love the most and struggle the most with how to have peace with the ones that we live with, work with, care about, and interact with. And so we talked about what that meant by loving your enemy. That many times, we we don't want to say that, well, my spouse is my enemy. But maybe I'm at odds with him. So he feels like an enemy to me. So this is where we want to think about, what does God say about loving our enemies? How do we deal with being angry? especially in today's time. So we're going to talk this first half hour about critical thinking skills because we kind of are a little lazy when it comes to critical thinking skills anymore in our society. And one of the ways I know that helps me to stay relaxed and not be so easily angered is having good critical thinking skills. So I'm able to really think my way through something versus starting with the emotions and then, thinking about how I just acted out, and wishing maybe I would have done it differently, and one of the things that, that I want us to think about, and certainly in today's the current times that we 're in when it comes to the all the all the different rights that we are having and the president and how we feel about the president and we have this new election and and I know you know this is not a political show, but I did run across um, a really interesting author, and they had contacted me about having him on my show, and his name is Dr. Michael Brown, and I think that you're going to really appreciate what he has to say. He has written a book, and it is called, um, Will We Pass the Trump Test? Evangelicals on the Crossroads, and really talks about who this president really is, and how we are to maneuver around this, and are we going to be able, as Christians, to really critically analyze what we're doing here instead of being maybe emotional reasoners. And so I'm not saying that we don't have passion, we need to have passion, but we want to be careful about how much emotional reasoning we do. So in the second half, you're going to really enjoy Dr. Michael Brown. He has written, I think, about 20 different books. And so he's quite brilliant and a great, he does a great analysis of the process that we're going through right now. So let's think about this idea of critical thinking, and I want to just first start with reminding you of this this, um, verse. This is Matthew 5, 44, the Message Bible, and it says, you're familiar with the old written law, love your friend, and its unwritten companion, hate your enemy. So that's the old law, and he says, I'm challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with energies of prayer. For then you are working out of your true selves, your God-created selves. This is what God does. He gives his best. The sun to warm and the rain to nourish to everyone, regardless. The good and the bad, the nice and the nasty. If all you do is love the lovable, expect a bonus, anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. So I really love that, and I think it's important that we recognize, you know, we are so, so willing to see people as adversaries instead of assuming the best of them. How can we judge someone that we've never really even sat down and talked with? We may judge their behaviors, and I tell this to clients day in and day out. I judge behaviors as to whether or not they're effective, whether they're going to help us, whether they're going to get us what we need, move us forward. So I absolutely judge behaviors as to whether they're right or wrong, good or bad, helpful, not helpful. But I'm not going to judge the person. That really is God's arena. He knows that person far better than I ever could. He knows their past, He knows their DNA, He knows how they were parented, He knows their life experiences. So he's the one that has enough information to truly judge a person. But we are to judge behaviors as well as judging our own behaviors as to whether they are revealing Jesus to people or whether I am revealing maybe the the most decadent part of me, the most fallen part of me, the most wounded part of me. So we want to ask ourselves, You know, what did I do to get me here? How did I get to this place where I have a tendency to first judge and then see if I like the person? What What got me there? What could I do differently? What should I do differently? Have I hurt my friends, family, spouse, colleagues, neighbors, by being judgmental of them? Do I really, sincerely, genuinely feel sad, bad, or hurt because of what i've done so i I, i'm here to tell you i can do it just as easily as anybody else can but the thing that i know pleases god more than anything is that in reflection i will look at that and say oh that was not the best version of me that wasn't right regardless of whatever it was that person was doing i can't judge their heart i don't know them well enough And so this is where I need to say to myself, do I really, really genuinely take this seriously? That if I just flippantly judge someone and go, oh, what a jerk, what an idiot, what a moron, right? What am I doing here? Do I know them? Now, I can say to myself, that was moronic behavior I just pulled off, right? So I can judge my behavior, but I'm not even supposed to judge myself. That really is God's domain. So what would be the most important thing to start doing or to stop doing today? So let's think about this. Luke 6, 35 says, I tell you, love your enemies. Help and give without expecting a return. You'll never, I promise, regret it. Live out this God-created identity the way our Father lives toward us, generously, graciously, even when we're at our worst. Our Father is kind, you be kind. So, if you're the greatest enemy to yourself, you need to apply this first to yourself. I tell you, love your enemies. So if you hate you, you need to figure out how to love you because God loves you. And others love you. And this is important, that we, that we help ourselves without always expecting that we'll be perfect. And we live out that life that God has given us, the way our Father lives toward us. We want to live our life that way. So let, let's really kind of look at this idea of critical thinking skills and why that would be so important. Because we're, kind, we're not really taught this. And this is one of the ways that we manage anger. And this is one of the ways we manage judgment. So let me tell you a little bit about this concept of critical thinking. And it's a rich concept, and it's been developing throughout the past 2,500 years. And the term critical thinking has its roots in the mid-late 20th century. So we're going to talk about some, some overlapping definitions that that really help this this conception of critical thinking and how it's really defined and what it really can mean to us because this is important times that we need to be able to think clearly and to recognize when we're simply thinking emotionally. So critical thinking is the intellectually disciplined process of actively and skillfully conceptualizing, applying, analyzing, synthesizing, and or evaluating information gathered from or generated by observation, experience, reflection, reasoning, communication. And it guides our beliefs and our actions. Remember when, that we have that verse that says, for as a man thinketh within, so he is. The way I think toward me and others begins to shape who I am. And we want to make sure that our thinking is causing us to be more in the way that God had designed us to be. And when he thought us up, when he created us in our mother's womb, we want to make sure our thinking leads us more toward that original design and not what may be our own design. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the next segment as we talk more about critical thinking and get ready to be... Have Dr. Brown with us today about his book on President Trump. I hear the whispers in my Welcome back. You're listening to Conversations with Cynthia, and I'm your host, Cynthia Hyatt. Thank you for joining me today. And we have a couple of things for you today. The first part, we are going to be talking about critical thinking. And in the last segment, that's some of what we talked about, introducing that concept as to why that helps us monitor and manage emotional regulation. And I know that sounds very, very therapeutic to say. What it really means is it's, it's exemplifying that verse in the Bible. It says, for as a man thinketh within, so he is. So the more in charge of our thinking the better able we will be able to handle the emotions that come from the world around us and how we feel about ourselves, how we feel about others, how we feel about whatever's going on in our world. And right now we have a lot going on in our world. So if you missed last week, I want to encourage you to go to the website at CynthiaHyatt.com and listen to that show about loving my enemy and making sure that we are really practicing What what, that edict from God and the fact that God loves us and we are oftentimes being an enemy to him. So we're talking about critical thinking because this is one of the best ways to manage emotional regulation. Critical thinking is one of the the hallmarks of the psychotherapeutic uh, experience is that we really work on how people think because our thoughts generate emotions. And if we get too caught up in our emotions, we begin to then make decisions emotionally versus critically. So this a brief conceptualization of critical thinking is let's think of it as its self-guided, its self-disciplined thinking which attempts to reason at the highest level of quality in a fair-minded way. People who think critically consistently attempt to live rationally, reasonably, and empathetically. And they're keenly aware of the inherently flawed nature of human thinking when it's left unchecked. This means that they're keenly aware of their own deficits. They strive to diminish the power of being egocentric, sociocentric tendencies. They use those intellectual critical thinking skills and concepts and principles that really help them analyze and assess situations and improve the way they think about it. Because that even means, how do I think about what I'm feeling? And you've heard me say this so many times to people and to myself and on this show. Do I believe everything I think? Do I believe everything I feel? And right now we have a society that really thinks that everything they decide is true is true. Well, truth is one of those wonderful qualities that has to be found out. It has to be discovered. Truth doesn't change. Reality changes. This is why it's kind of destabilizing sometimes when we can think that we really hate someone or really dislike someone or hate a particular place or thing. And then as we get to know it, we go oh this is this isn't so bad this is kind of cool oh my gosh I sat down and talked to that person and I actually walked away liking them but my initial judgment was that I didn't like them I didn't approve of them I didn't agree with them so critical thinking skills help us to make room for reality and to try to see how much of our reality is actually true Because many things feel very real, but they are not necessarily true. And I know this is really esoteric thinking. And so I want to make it as simple as I can, because this is such a skill I would like you to have, you will be able to regulate your emotional state so much better. If you're able to get some distance from a difficult concept, a a a concept or an experience or a thought that is really hurtful, upsetting to you, goes against every part of your value system. If you can get some distance and say, you know, I, I need to think about this. Think about the ramifications, the implications before I load it up with passion and emotions. So I need to think about this. So people that have good intellectual critical thinking skills, they understand concepts and principles that enable them to analyze, assess, and improve their own thinking. And they can work diligently to develop intellectual virtues of integrity, humility, right, civility, empathy, intellectual sense of justice and confidence when it comes to reasoning. And they can realize that no matter how skilled they are as thinkers, they always can improve. And they can always improve the reasoning abilities. They can always go back and redo. And they can be flexible enough to change their opinion. They can be humble enough to say, you know, I was wrong. I missed that. I judged it initially. And I built a whole case around it. And I really believed in my own case. And now that I've gotten to know that person understand that that organization, get to know that neighbor of mine, they're really maybe not so bad. So these complexities really help us to avoid thinking too simplistically about complicated issues, and it helps us strive to appropriately consider the rights and the needs that are relevant to other people without just judging them initially and saying no. It means that we can give a tentative yes, and always say no if we want to. But why do we have to start with the word no? Of course, there are very few things that we would necessarily have to start with the word no, and that is always about abuse, about any type of crime, about dishonoring a human. Okay, So we do know that there is a time for no, but for the most part, I would really encourage you to use the word yes and say, why don't you tell me more about that? Yes, I'm willing to hear what you think. Yes, I'm willing to hear why you like that, why you don't, why you're rejecting it, why you're at odds with me. I'm interested. I'm interested. I want more information. So they embody the Socratic principle, and I love the Socratic oath. And this is that life is an, that that unexamined life is not worth living. An unexamined life is not worth living. Because critical thinkers realize that many unexamined lives together result in an uncritical, unjust, and dangerous world. See, everyone thinks it's in our nature to do so. But much of our thinking, if left to itself, is biased, distorted, partial, uninformed, and downright prejudiced, right? Yet the quality of our life and that of what we produce, make, or build depends precisely on the quality of our thought. Shoddy thinking is costly, both in money and in the quality of life. So this next half hour, we have Dr. Brown talking about the Trump test, and he's a great critical thinker, which is one of the reasons I wanted to have him on the show to talk about his book about Trump and the pros and the cons so that we can really be healthy, critical thinkers that understand our own opinion and that our opinions are not just emotionally created. And this is going to be extremely helpful, I think, for our world, for our community to really understand how we make these very serious decisions. So this is Cynthia High with Conversations with Cynthia. Thank you so much for joining me. And please stay with me as we uh, really have a great next half hour with Dr. Brown. Welcome back. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, and you are listening to Conversations with Cynthia. Make sure you check out the website at CynthiaHyatt.com. You can listen to the show in its entirety there. Download it, send it to your friends, or you can find it on any podcast service. So I'm so excited today. We have a very special guest. His name is Dr. Michael Brown. And if you are just tuning in, I want you to make sure to listen to the show in its entirety because in the the first half hour we talked about critical thinking skills and how important critical thinking skills are. And when it comes to how divisive the world is right now about President Trump and how much we are using emotional reasoning... I thought this would be very helpful to have an expert really talk to us about the pros and cons of the current president as we are really working as evangelicals to make healthy very godly decisions so we are deeply divided right now over Donald Trump and um, some see him as a savior figure other people think and think he's anointed by God and others even in, in the Christian world, can see him as the Antichrist and doing great harm to the nation and bringing embarrassment even to the church. So Dr. Michael Brown's book, it's a new book, and it's called the Evangelicals at the Crossroads, Will We Pass the Trump Test? And he is a nationally recognized evangelical leader and has laid out the case against Trump, the case for Trump, and a 10-point strategy for evangelicals to put their Christian values first without abandoning the political system. So, Dr. Brown, thank you so much for being with us today.
2: I'm well, so glad to be with you, Cynthia. Thanks for having me.
1: Well, tell the listeners again, when I had asked you, you know, how long did it take you to write this book? Tell, tell them what you told me.
2: Well, I, I worked on it over a serious period of, of months. Uh, I, I've written books. I wrote one during the COVID virus, read right at the beginning in, in like a two-week period, but this one, I absorb, really, it's, it's a couple years of research and then months of serious writing to really absorb the arguments on both sides and to read anti-Trump book after anti-Trump book, both from a secular perspective and a Christian perspective, and then to understand the case for Trump and to lay things out so if you're a never-Trumper, if you're an always-Trumper, or if you're not sure where to go, <laughs> you'll find your position represented. And then we lay out a coherent strategy— I voted for Trump in 2016 after opposing him in the primaries. I plan to vote for him in 2020, but I do not look to him as a savior figure or God's answer for the problems in America. I look at him as the better choice for president, whereas Jesus is my savior who gets my heart, my life, my soul. But I spent a lot of time— I
1: love that. I love that. really trying to
2: to not just hear what others were saying, but to absorb it. So that—let's say you're a never-Trumper. You'll read my book and say you made yeah you represented my position, but then I answer it a- as well and if you're one that that isn't always Trumper you'll say, yeah okay, you lay out my position, but then you'll see cautions to to what can be putting too much trust in a person or a political system
1: oh I think that's I think that's so timely and so necessary you know I did the whole first half hour on critical thinking and the the importance Mm -hmm. of critical thinking and that we don't teach people critical thinking, which means we become emotional reasoners. And we just want to feel good. And our nation right now is kind of, everything's about feeling good, you know? And instead of recognizing that, wow, if we make good decisions, we might get those positive feelings much quicker and in in a much more, um, what I would say, healthy manner and probably true. I mean, because many of the emotions that we feel sometimes aren't necessarily true. So when we use some of what you're doing, we can get some of those feelings instead of chasing after the feeling.
2: Yeah, and and we're used to functioning in our own echo chambers. Yes. uh, Listening to the news that supports our views, uh, interacting with friends and social media that support our views. And we're, we're normally not able... To handle objections and issues in a non-emotional way, to say you right. know that's a great point, and and I could I could say yeah I agree with you that Trump has been divisive, juvenile in his tweets, sometimes his own worst enemy throws people under the bus. I've read books attacking the the White House administration, how he operates behind the scenes. That so could be true. Now I evaluate that if if I had voted for Hillary Clinton, what would I have gotten? that have gotten the advances in pro-life or pro-family or pro-religious liberties or are pushing back against radical LGBTQ activism or standing with Israel or standing against the tyranny of China or facing down Islamic terrorists. So, <laughs> so he's done really well on those yes. and poorly on the others. So I evaluate it. And when it comes to voting for president, I make clear that as much as I would like the president to be perfect, this never happened, and as much as we as evangelicals are shouting character counts, morality matters, we, we continue to shout that, and we say where Donald Trump has kept his word, that shows tremendous character. Where he's acted in an immature, fleshly way, that's done damage. But I weigh out the pros and cons, and what would have happened if Hillary Clinton were president, I have a whole chapter in the book about that, and what would potentially happen if Joe Biden were president. And exactly. right now, it's kind of a choice between Trump and Marxism and social anarchy. Right. And that's kind of what it comes well, down to. So, Well, let's start, can, let,
1: let's start in the next segment with that, because that's really important. So join us in the next segment, listeners. Thank you for being with us, Dr. Brown. And I think you won't be disappointed. I hear the whispers in my Welcome back. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, your host. You're listening to Conversations with Cynthia. Thank you for tuning in today, and I want to let you know that if you're just tuning in, we have a really important guest. This is Dr. Michael um, Michael Brown, and he has written a book, Will We Pass the Trump Test, Evangelicals at the Crossroads? And he has written over 40 books, and he's a nationally syndicated radio broadcaster, and his, his show is Line of Fire. And so he has put together a book of pros and cons about Trump, which goes right along with critical thinking skills, and what we're talking about being adult thinkers. And so, Dr. Brown, thank you so much for joining us, and just let's just jump right back into where you were.
2: Yes, yeah, so right now we are faced with kind of a binary choice for president. We don't have the choice in terms of getting another candidate instead of Trump or Biden, and that's not likely what's going to happen barring some unforeseen circumstances. You can cast a protest vote or not vote at all, which... That's up to you. That's your conscience. But pretty much what's happened with the Trump presidency is everything has kind of been revealed. The radicality of the Democrats has been revealed.
1: The extreme
2: bias of the media, really on all sides, has been revealed. And a lot of hypocrisy in the church has been revealed, where we we talk character, character, character for years, and then Trump comes in and is like,
0: well,
2: not that (laughs) important because he's fighting for us. So a lot has been exposed, but we've seen now, even Joe Biden, who's been running, has gone further and further to the left. I was reading the other day someone saying, since Bernie Sanders won the election, he's gone radical left on abortion policy. He's, he's openly saying transgender rights are the new civil rights.
0: Right. and
2: And you have to even push him to say he won't defund the police. So right now... There is a radical Marxist movement. We shout from the rooftops that black lives do matter, but we separate ourselves from the BLM movement, which is founded by by three Marxists, three radical feminists, two of whom identify as queer activists. It has a very clear agenda. It says we want to remove President Trump, and it has larger goals, namely the overthrowing of the society as we know it, changing America in very, very fundamental ways. If you remember when, when President Obama was elected, uh, right before he he uh, began his his uh, presidential service, you know he said we're we're going to fundamentally transform America, and I think most of us say yeah, America needs improvement like any other country. We have strengths and weaknesses, but we don't need, we don't need to fundamentally transform society. Well, now we see what that actually means, and we see the all-out assault on our liberties, and basically. I do not believe that four more years of Donald Trump is the hope of America. The hope of America is the Church of America coming alive and impacting the nation and a national awakening. That's the hope of America. Absolutely. But Trump is like a dam stopping this, this tsunami from flooding the nation. And basically, if, if you take him out of the way, you're really going to have chaos reigning. You're, you're, you're really. I, I understand the BLM movement may say, okay, we don't need to push as hard to get rid of Trump. But there are people who've been activated, there are people who want to change the nation, and it is in the way of Marxism, it is in the, is in the way of, of socialism, and there's something really interesting about this. I just wrote an article about the connection between Saul Alinsky, famous for Rules for Radicals, the connection between Saul Alinsky and the BLM movement. I don't know that there's a direct lineal connection as there was with Hillary Clinton and with Barack Obama that could be clearly traced. But ideologically, it's there. And I was reading a book by David Horowitz, who who quoted an SDS, Students for Democratic Society, one of the radicals from the 60s, who said, The issue is never the issue. The revolution is the issue. And that's the reality now. Black lives is not the issue. The cultural revolution is the issue. And again, it's ultimately up to the Church to present a better way for justice and a better way for harmony in a better way for the prosperity of the society. But when it comes to voting, I, it's really easy for me. As, as much as here, exactly Donald Trump gives his Mount Rushmore speech, it's inspirational, it's great, and it's strong for civil rights issue. it's strong for black Americans, excellent. And then the next day he goes after Bubba Wallace at NASCAR. It's like, oh, <laughs> what are you doing? As much as I wish he right. would do that, the reason I'm voting for him Is for the policies, for the judges he's going to put in place. 200 now have uh, transformed the judicial landscape. So we really can put kind of a wedge in the door before there's collapse and anarchy. That's with our vote. Then we better get busy doing what we need to do.
1: Well, I think that's really well said, because one of the problems that we're having in our society is that we want to see rock stars and athletes and politicians as the dad we never had. Or the person that's going to save us from even ourselves or make our lives better. Instead of recognizing that that's not the goal of politicians, we are, they are just people like we are. And many of them are God ordained to do that. But the important thing is for us to be able to require that they are actually creating and sustaining and providing what that type of country that we are like, want to live in.
2: Yeah, and and because of your perspective, the you know, life coaching, and the things mm-hmm. that you do, obviously you're bringing that into the larger national uh, discussion, and and that's so important because we are polarized in the church. Donald Trump, Antichrist. Donald Trump, Mini Christ. Right. You know, <laughs> and, and that's we we get to these extremes, and then in the world it's the same thing. Either he's the man, and he he's the greatest president we've ever had. To You know, he's losing his mind and he's going to start a nuclear war with the whole world overnight, you know. And
0: right. so you have
2: these polar extremes in the world, in the Church as well. One of the reasons I wrote Evangelicals at the Crossroads was to help us get the right perspective. So we, we shout from the rooftops, Jesus is our Savior, Trump is our President. One gets our heart, our life, our soul, our undying devotion. The other gets our vote.
1: And and our friendship. See, this is the other thing I've had to talk to many clients about. I'm saying you don't have to like a president for him to do well. This is that we don't know him. We're not hanging out with him. And so we have to have those critical thinking skills that help us understand, is he doing the job even if I don't like his style? Because that's how adults think.
2: Yes, and that's the thing, to get us to think and behave like adults. Yes. One of the chapters in the book asks the question, have we failed the love test? The answer is, yeah, we have, because in the midst of our differences, we savage each other. I'm talking about fellow Christians. Yes. We savage each other uh, over Donald Trump. Yes. And and I, I understand what's happened, because I opposed him in the primaries, and one of the reasons was I didn't trust him. I didn't trust his promises. Well, we've seen strong character there. He's kept his promises. But the other thing was I didn't like who he was, his behavior, and so on. But when it was him versus Hillary, Hillary then, yes. for me it, yes. was a, it was a simple simple choice to make.
1: So, you know, I told a colleague well, of mine the other day, I said, how do you think, you know, in, in in biblical times they felt about King David when he's running around naked?
2: Yeah, or King David, the adulterer and the murderer. Yes, yes, but he and, still and, and look, was a good leader. Yeah." <laughs> These things have consequences. In other words, there is collateral damage because of the Trump presidency. So I I freely acknowledge that, and I bemoan it. But when I have the choice between Trump, the good he does, with the collateral damage, versus Hillary or Biden, it's it's an easy choice. And again, I, I come back to this. It's a matter of priorities. It's a matter of mature thinking. And I think what's happened with a lot of evangelicals because Trump has really stayed loyal. We've helped elect Ronald Reagan. We've helped elect George H.W. Bush, George W. Bush. And normally what happens is once they're in, the close relationship is lost. The right. open door is lost. It's been the opposite with Trump. The door remains open. I have close friends oh, that meet with him point. regularly. And, and he's kept his relationship with evangelicals. He's kept his promises, he's fought for our cause. So that then creates a certain sense of allegiance on our end and then now you you pick a fight with him, you're picking a fight with me. That's where we make our mistake. He can fight for himself. He doesn't need our help. He can <laughs> right. fight for himself. What we have to do is put our witness first. tell the world, you want to know who I am, you want to know what I believe? Watch my life. Watch how I conduct myself with my family in the workplace. Watch my, my, my conduct. What's the main message that I'm putting out? That's who I am. And now we all get to vote. It is not the most important thing in the world. It, it is not the most important thing that defines us. We must step above the election fever
1: yes. and not
2: be like the rest of the world, responding to all the the, the things that push our emotions and, and get us upset instead in maturity, we put the cross before the flag. We put spiritual activity before political activity. We unite around Jesus, even if we differ about Trump. We regain our prophetic voice to the nation. This is part of the strategy I lay out in Evangelicals at the Crossroads because this is big. It's only going to intensify up to November. And if Trump is reelected, nothing is going to slow down. It is going to be chaos, attack against him from the media and the left, and that's where we must get our priorities right. If he's not reelected, there's going to be chaos on the streets as the norm. And remember, friends, the big enemy of, of radical Marxism and radical socialism is ultimately the Church of Jesus. That's right. There is a reason that church buildings are being burned and set on fire and vandalized. There is a reason for it. And for people who think, no, 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 we're just standing together for justice, beware, because the cancel culture will turn on us. And again, that's kind of the binary choice. Do we vote to stand against the cancel culture, or do we vote for our own demise?
1: Well, and I think it goes also back to, like you said, being mature thinkers, and where is our faith? Who who are we really believing in? And, and we are not to be believing in another human to the degree that we're believing in God, and does he, does he own this world or not?
2: Yeah, there's a chapter in the book, Did God Uniquely Raise Up Donald Trump? And I believe the answer is yes, we can mm-hmm. make a case for it with prophetic words that were spoken and with the unlikelihood of his election. But that doesn't mean everything he does is right and good. In fact, it means that God is using a frail, human vessel, a very unlikely vessel, a thrice-married, narcissistic playboy who got rich off casinos and strip clubs, as, you know, <laughs> the most unlikely candidate, and yet one who genuinely seems to care about Christian interest in America, and who genuinely wants to help the nation. And so, isn't,
1: isn't that just like God?
2: Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and look, God uses you and me. That's exactly so, right. That should remind us and this is, yes, this is an exaggerated case. I think what we have to do, though, is be very sensitive to how our testimony is perceived, to be careful to put our identification with Jesus above our identification with Trump, but not to be pushed by the left that says, well, we won't listen to you unless you renounce Donald Trump, because they didn't listen to me before. Right. They didn't say to me, oh, please come on our show and talk to us about abortion, or right. talk to us about your views on homosexuality. No, no, we are blackballed because of our faith in Jesus. And if Mike Pence was the president, no, he wouldn't do some of the foolish things Trump does, and, and, and he wouldn't put his foot in his mouth as much as Trump. And But if he had the backbone to stand the way Trump does, he would be hated even more Because of his conservative Christian values. And every one of us that would vote for him, we would be told, you're voting for a theocracy. You're trying to take over the society. Yes.
1: Oh, gosh. The
2: world's going to come with its accusations. Trump is a xenophobic, racist, white supremacist. And anyone who votes for him, that's who (laughs) you are.
1: Thank you so much for being on our show. I I have enjoyed this tremendously, and I can't wait to read your book. God bless you, Dr. Brown.
0: Thank you.